So today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 41 to 52, so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anna, for reading for us. Uh, just a little advert for those of you who are new to us. We started looking through Luke's Gospel uh, a few weeks before Christmas, and we're going to be reading through the whole of Luke's Gospel. We're not going to miss any of the difficult bits out. Um, if Andy behaves himself, I won't give him all the difficult bits to preach about, but we're going to look at, we're going to look at all of them. Uh, and I gave two people in the church uh, a Luke scripture journal that looks like this. Uh, it's got one page of Luke and one page of blank notes, so you can either write notes or just the one thing you think God's saying to you. And we're encouraging the whole church to go through the whole of Luke's gospel. It's going to take us over a year. We did the Christmas stories at Christmas. This is the first post-Christmas story. Uh, and we're going to finish up at Easter uh, in 15 months' time, uh, having done the whole gospel. So there are a few copies of these journals at the back on the welcome desk. We also have some uh, nice full-colour copies of Luke to give to anyone who's a visitor here who'd like to have Luke's gospel. If you'd rather have the black and white one with the spare pages, you're very welcome. But there are some nice glossy ones, and they're there on the welcome desk, and you're very welcome to them. Uh, so we've had the Christmas stories, we've had angels and shepherds, we've had the birth of Jesus, uh, and this morning we had Jesus presented in the temple and what Simeon and Annas prophesied over him. And tonight we have the only story we've got of Jesus as a boy. Uh, we had as a baby and just when he was a toddler when the wise men came, and the next thing we'll hear is when he's 30. So it's great significance just to have this one story of him age 12 uh, and it focuses on his relationship with God as his father and we're going to be thinking about his relationship with God as father and ours with God as our heavenly father so let's pray that God will speak to us Lord God our father how we praise you for your great love for us how we praise you that Jesus revealed that love and taught us to call you our father Thank you for your love for us, greater than any parent has ever had for any child. And we pray you would come by your Holy Spirit this evening and speak to each one of us. For those of us who've known you and loved you for a while, come and renew your relationship 
with us. For those for whom this is all very new and just exploring, we pray that you would open eyes to see the wonder of Jesus and your fatherly love for us. So take what I've prepared and breathe your spirit's life into it, we pray, that you would speak to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Just as I start, have a think just quietly. Uh, If you had to write down an answer to this question, what would you write? What do you think God thinks about you? I don't know how well you're doing with that one. Uh, Here's another question. Again, just see what's the first phrase that comes into your head that you you don't have to write this down. I'm not taking in any homework on this. Uh, How is your relationship with God? It's a new year, as Lydia was saying. Some of us think about drinking more water. Uh, That's a good thing to do. But perhaps the most important thing about us is our relationship with God and our understanding of his relationship with us. That goes to the core of our identity and will affect our behavior, uh, how we relate to others, what we do, what we don't do, how secure we are in our identity. It's absolutely key. And the great truth we're celebrating this evening is God's fatherly love for us. Uh, None of us have had perfect fathers. Some of us have had reasonably okay dads. Some of us have had quite good ones. Some of us have had ones that weren't so good. Some of us have had ones that are actually really not good at all. And some of us have not known our dads. They've been absent. But deep inside all of us is a cry that God has put in us to know him as our heavenly father. So we're going to think about Jesus's growing awareness of God as his heavenly father. And then we're going to think about our relationship. So let's get to this story of Jesus when he was 12 Uh, Verse 41 is where it starts. I'm on the wrong page here. Let's get the right page. Verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. Now, they lived in Nazareth, up north by Galilee. Jerusalem is quite a long way south. It would have taken a few days to get there. They probably walked, uh, or with carts and donkeys, and they camped. took several several, um, days to get there. Those who lived within 50 miles or so of Jerusalem were all encouraged to go to the festival every year. Those who lived further away in Israel were encouraged to get there when they could. Uh, Passover is at our Easter time, at least our Easter Easter is at the Jewish Passover time. That's the right way around. That was one of the great festivals. There was another festival in the autumn, September time, of tabernacles where they would go to Jerusalem and camp uh, in tents. That's a bit like our new wine where in the summer we go and uh, live outside for a bit uh, and meet with God for a week. They had a festival at Christmas, a festival of light, and there were various other festivals. But we read that Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, went up to Passover every year together with people from their hometown in Nazareth. Uh, It's a big gathering. Crowds would gather. There would have been lots of worship in the temple. There was lots of teaching about God. There was lots of uh, community just enjoying together. It was a holiday, a corporate holiday. Uh, Now, lots of my growth as a Christian happened on these sorts of things. When I was a little boy, uh, my dad used to lead house parties at a place called Ashburnham down on the south coast. Uh, And I remember going for a week each summer. And this great gathering, uh, a sort of house party of people from local churches uh, every year. 
Then when I became a teenager, I went on Scripture Union camps each summer. Uh, some of the best 10 days of my year, where each year I was able to process my relationship with God. Uh, my relationship with God tended to be a bit like a washing line. It had this real prop each summer, this Scripture Union camp, and then it kind of went down the rest of the year, and then a big prop the next year. Uh, but there's no doubt that I took steps on in those, uh, uh, those holiday weeks. Uh, as parents, we took our children and family to New Wine each year, and we encouraged them to go individually as well on Scripture Union and Cypher Ventures, Christians in Sport, those sort of things. Uh, if you are responsible for children in any way, your parents, your godparents, your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts, do encourage children to go on these things. Um, but it's not as children, as I was saying earlier, for new wine. It's a really good thing for our faith. And Mary and Joseph did this each year. They went up to uh, Jerusalem. They went for the Passover. It was just part of their regular worship of God. Not everybody went, but they did. And Jesus came with them. We don't know if they always took all their children or whether this was perhaps the first time he came. Around about 12 or 13, as a Jewish boy is approaching his bar mitzvah, he gets treated more as an adult, and it maybe this is the first year he came. Maybe they took all the children. We don't know. But we know that Jesus was with them. And they're there for the week, and they're heading home and pitching camp that first night on their way back to Nazareth. Uh, and Mary, no doubt, goes up to find Joseph and says, have you seen Jesus anywhere? I can't see him. And Joseph says, no, I thought he was with you. And they have this terrible moment that most parents have had at some point. Oh, my goodness, I've lost my children, my child. Where, where is he? And uh, they were in a group of friends. They probably, oh, he's probably with the Joneses or the Smiths or whoever it is. From, uh, uh, but they looked around and he wasn't there. I was reading around about the culture of this. It seems that quite often... Uh, the mums with children or the older people have set off early in the day, gone a bit slower, and the dads might have stayed in Jerusalem for a bit longer and travelled a bit faster. They'd meet up together that night. So we can understand Mary thinking Jesus with Joseph or Joseph thinking Jesus was with Mary. But he's not there, and they panic, and they go back to Jerusalem. Uh, that's the next day. It takes a day to get back to Jerusalem, then a day looking for him, and they don't find him. And eventually they find Jesus in the temple. Let's pick up this story again. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, joining in with all the, the adults there. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he was saying to them. It's the only story we've got of Jesus' childhood. There's lots of sort of apocryphal stories, uh, but this is the only one in the scriptures that we know uh, is reliable. And here is Jesus at the age of 12, and you have this strong sense that he knows that God is his father and that there's a loyalty above that to Mary and Joseph to his heavenly father. Now, we don't know what stories Mary and Joseph had told him when he was growing up. We don't know when uh, he first heard about the shepherds visiting him or the wise men. We don't know whether Mary had told him yet about Gabriel coming. We just don't know. We do know that there were rumours of illegitimacy about Jesus. And probably at school, he got called names, the equivalent of bastard. 
probably. He probably came home and asked about that. His parents have probably told him some of the stories. Uh, and he's clearly got a questioning mind and he's learning. But we don't know. You can imagine those conversations uh, in Jesus' childhood, how he's grown. Uh, Mary's probably told him uh, of his miraculous birth. But we don't know. He's 12. It's that sort of, you know, if he was older, he'd probably been told. If he was younger, he probably wouldn't have done. He's been growing into this awareness. But by the age of 12, he has grown that, to understand that God is his father and he's drawn to the temple where God's presence was made known and asking questions and lapping up all the teaching. Just as an aside, I've got one or two asides for tonight, for tonight and we'll keep coming back to this God as father is our main track. But thank you to those of you who are involved with our children and young people. At the age of 12, what a fantastic time to invest in people. I know we've got more capacity for people joining our children's teams and youth teams. But this is such a time, our young people, for them to learn about God. And Jesus models for us how much you can learn at an age of 12 and 13 and 14 uh, and so on. And for me personally, that was a time when I learnt but I was also wrestling with, am I going to follow Jesus or not? I spent most of my teenage years partly drawn to following God, those Scripture Union camps each summer, and then for most of the rest of the year rather embarrassed about being part of a tiny village church or a school where nobody else seemed to be a Christian, and sort of torn these two ways, but really grateful to the adults who prayed for me and invested in me, and if God calls you to work with our young people, hallelujah. Uh, anyway, that's an aside, but it's an important one. Here is Jesus at 12, knowing that God is his heavenly father. Uh, we heard the story earlier in Luke about how his cousin, John the Baptist, was filled with the spirit from the womb. We can be pretty sure that was true of Jesus. Jesus, who is very God, who by the Holy Spirit's work in Mary, uh, had come to be an embryo and then born as a baby. Jesus has known the Holy Spirit. He's known God as his Father, and he's slowly understanding it more and more. There's a long way to go. He's only 12. And then we get these amazing verses. I found these fairly extraordinary. Uh, the last two. Then Jesus went to Nazareth with them, with Mary and Joseph, and was obedient to them. That's amazing. Here is Jesus, who understands that God is his heavenly Father, and yet, he submits to Mary and Joseph. Actually, any 12-year-old is pretty amazing, a verse like this, that he submitted to his parents. I don't know how you were when you were 12. Um, those were probably... My parents gave me the name Jonathan, which means gift of the Lord, which they may well have thought when I was a baby. When I was 12, I'm not sort of sure they thought that quite so much as I put them through, made them jump through a certain number of hoops. But here is Jesus, who's beginning to understand that God is his heavenly Father, that Joseph is not his real dad, but he submits to them. That's amazing. Another aside. We're going to come back to God as Father, but here's just another aside. Through the Scriptures, we are told to submit for God's sake to the authorities that God has put in this world. So just one example of this. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Peter says to Christians who are persecuted for their faith, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or to the supreme authority or all sorts of other ones. So Jesus models this submission to his parents. Uh, and what this means is that in everything apart from sin, 
we are to do and submit willingly to the, the authorities. So if authorities are telling us to do things that are sinful, well, we say no. Submitting means just not complaining when we get into trouble for it. But the rest of the time, we submit to others. Jesus submitted to his parents. We're to submit to bosses, to submit to one another. We submit to the government and pay our taxes and so on, stick to the speeding limits, those sort of things. That's, that is good, godly uh, thing that Jesus modelled to us. Now, there's a whole other sermon there on submitting to authority, which I'm not going to preach. That was just an aside for those of you who like to know that there are multiple sermons that could be preached from all these passages. I'm just preaching the one uh, tonight, but I can't resist the asides. God is our heavenly father, and that's what we're coming back to. Everything in the New Testament is there to tell us that we can know God as our heavenly father ourselves in the same sort of way as Jesus knew. Now, Jesus was sinless and perfect, and he had this perfect relationship with God, his heavenly father. We've all sinned, we've all gone our own way, and none of us will have a perfect relationship with God this side of eternity, when it will all be perfected. But we can know God as our Heavenly Father and know the deep security of God's love for us. Whatever happens, whatever anybody else thinks, that God is for us, that we are adopted as his sons and daughters. Now, we're all growing in this. I bowed my knee to Jesus as Lord when I was 18, having grown up as a Christian, having kicked a bit as a teenager. That's over 40 years ago now. I'm growing in this. There's progress. My relationship with God as my Heavenly Father is a lot better now than it was in years gone by. But I pray it will get better. All of us have got capacity to grow in our relationship with God as Father. And as we were praying at the, at the start of the service, we had this word renew, that at the start of the year we pray that all of our relationship with God as Father will be renewed. Uh, so let's look at how this relationship with God as Father played out for Jesus. A few uh, advanced looks at bits of the gospel, mostly from Luke, but one or two other places. Uh, the next thing we hear about is in Luke chapter 3. Before I read it, or before we put the text up, Jesus is 30. says 18 more years have gone on. All we know is that he went back to Nazareth. He submitted to Mary and Joseph he presumably worked with Joseph in the carpenter's workshop there at Nazareth. He learnt to make tables. He learnt to make wheels and carts. He learnt to make door frames. Uh, he was both a sort of mechanic. If your cart broke, you would take it to Jesus to fix, and he would fix the axles on your cart or the wheels. He was a builder. He would make door frames and so on and help with building. Uh, he'd make ox yokes. Uh, he learnt to work with wood, and he learnt to do it for 18 years till he was 30 when he started his ministry. Now, when he was 12, he had discovered that God was his heavenly father. Can you imagine over these next years growing in his awareness that God is his father and that God's call on his life is not to be a carpenter forever? Actually, he's the savior of the world. He's the Messiah. He's going to be into ministry, into teaching, into healing, into death and resurrection. Till he was 30, he submitted. This is amazing. Uh, when I was 20, uh, two years into my student, I'd been following Jesus wholeheartedly for two years. I had this strong sense that God was calling me to be ordained. I'd kicked against it. My dad was a vicar, and so I'd sworn blind I wouldn't do that. But I started feeling called to be ordained. 
and I lost interest in the maths degree I was doing. And I really struggled with that. What's the point of this maths degree when I'm going to get ordained? Uh, and I wrote a letter to my dad about it. This was in the old days where phones, you had to pump money into and coins and things. Some of you remember that. And there was no email or text. My dad sent me back. If I got an envelope with my dad's writing on it, I usually had to pray before I opened it because it was... Uh, Mum sent the chatty one, this is what your sister's done, and this is what the cat's done, and this is what granny's done. And all. Dad hardly ever did it. He wrote me a one-line letter. Dear Jonathan, Jesus had to be a carpenter. Love, Dad. <laughs> that was, it's kind of what we'd call a text now, but it came with a stamp. And it was really important to me. I thought, gosh, if Jesus at age 20 knew, he was, knew God was his father... And he was going to be the saviour of the world. And he's going, and he submitted to being a carpenter. Perhaps I can do my maths for God's sake and submit myself to that. You students out there who are feeling called to, to do great things in the world, at the moment, God's calling you to do your studies. Jesus was a carpenter. Just knuckle down and do it and honour him and pray about where it will go next. Uh, so anyway, we, this is where we get to Jesus next. He's 30. And it's coming to the start of his public ministry. John the Baptist, his cousin, is baptizing. This is Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. That is amazing. It's wonderful to experience that sort of thing from anybody. When anybody says, I love you and I'm proud of you, that's great. When our parents speak that over us, that's really amazing. Jesus hears the voice of his heavenly Father speaking that over him. He knew it was true, but that was such an encouragement to him. His identity as God's Son is reinforced. At the end of this sermon... We're going to have a time of prayer where we're going to pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, will do that for us. One of the glorious things in the New Testament, look at this, is that God, by his Holy Spirit, wants us to know that God is our Father, that he loves us, he's for us. Uh, but we're looking at Jesus first. We'll get to that in a moment. That knowing that he is God's Son then gets tested. The next thing that happens in Luke chapter 4 is he goes out into the wilderness Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. At the end of them, he was hungry. I'm sure he was starving. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God. We won't read any more. Now, we know that really well. We come to faith in Jesus as Christians. We have a sense of God loving us. Uh, but when we go about our daily life, we have this niggle, ah, oh, if we really are, is it true? Is it just make-believe? Now, Jesus heard that voice of doubt and temptation from the devil, and he knows what that feels like. That your identity as a son or daughter of God as your father will be tested, which is why we need to get it so secure. It's why it's so important that we take time in prayer on our own and together to know that God is our Father, and to get our identity really clear. And so Jesus really invested in his relationship with God as his Father. Luke, more than any of the other Gospel writers, tells us how Jesus would carve out time away from the crowds to go and pray. For example, Luke 5, 15 to 16. 
as news about him spread all the more, so crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And it gets filled out by the other gospel writers that Jesus is communing with his heavenly Father, just making sure that that is where everything flows from, that it flows from his identity in God. Uh, he prays on his own to his heavenly Father before important decisions, like Luke chapter 6, 12 and 13. One of those days, Jesus went to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Really important decision. Who am I going to pick of all these people who are interested in following me? Who are going to be the 12? He spends all night praying. Uh, his disciples then watch his prayer life over the next months and years. They see him praying on his own, Luke 9, verse 18. Once was Jesus, Jesus was praying in private. His disciples were with him. He goes off to pray, and then he comes back and asks them, what do people say about me? Other times he takes them to pray with him, Luke 9, 28. After eight days, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up a mountain, but he's always praying. He's developing his relationship with God as his heavenly Father. And eventually the disciples ask him this in Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. They were quite used to that. But when he'd finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to learn to pray like you do. John taught his disciples. So Jesus started teaching them, when you pray, you say, our Father, Father. Now that was radical. Nobody had ever taught them to pray like that before. Jewish prayers would typically begin, blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, for you give us uh, food, bread, wine, grain, whatever it is. But Jesus says, when you pray, you say, Abba, that's the Jewish word for father. It's more intimate than our father. <clears throat> it's a bit like daddy, but it's a bit more reverent than our daddy. It's kind of got the intimacy of daddy with the reverence of father. And Jesus starts teaching them that they can call God Father the way he did. And this is the big truth, perhaps the most wonderful truth about being a Christian that the New Testament rings with. That when you bow the knee to Jesus as your Lord, not only does God put his Holy Spirit in you, but you get adopted into God's family so you can say to the God who's created everything, Father, Daddy, Abba. Let's look at a few examples from the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 12. We heard this in one of the Christmas readings. To all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's you if you've believed in Jesus and put your trust in him. Jesus gives you the right He's the one who makes it possible for you to be adopted. He's paid the price for your sin on the cross. Everything is forgiven. There's nothing in the way you can be adopted. Uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 says this. He chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Now this is true whether you're a daughter or a son. In the Roman world, adoption to sonship had a certain legal status. So Paul is talking about that status. Whether you are male or female, we're adopted with all the rights and responsibilities 
uh, of being a son in those days through Jesus Christ. Or John in his old age, I love this, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Uh, and much more, but we could do... Well, I'll read the rest of it. The reason the world does not know us, it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him, and we'll see him as he is. But that first bit, God has lavished his love on us, that we should be called children of God. Now, there's loads of other truths about God in the Bible. He is the king. He is the judge. He is the shepherd. He is the holy one. But the biggest truth for the Christian is that he is our father, that we can call him Abba, Father. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 18. Those of us who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. That's about the rights. And by that Spirit we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So being a child of God is the most wonderful privilege. It's not easy, just as it wasn't easy for Jesus. It's not easy to follow him. But we're not just made for this world. We're made for eternity to be with God for all eternity. And this world is about being given the chance to, the offer, do you want to be part of God's family or not? Now, some Christians have grasped this in their head, but what the Holy Spirit longs to do is to help us to know it deep down. I've got a friend who says we need to know it in our knower, the bit of us that knows stuff, deep down in our guts, so you know and you are secure that God is your heavenly Father and that he loves you and he's got you. And it doesn't matter what happens, he's got you. You are secure. And this gets tested. gets tested by the evil one who makes us doubt if you are a child of God. gets just in the busyness of the world and the difficulties of the, that are going on. We take our eyes off God. We lose sight of it. And at the start of this new year, I really want us to pray that God would renew this within us. For those of us that are Christians, for those of you who are not yet Christians, please come on the Alpha course. This is the best news in the world, and we'd love you to explore this, uh, that you can know God who made you as your Heavenly Father. Uh, now, whenever I'm teaching on this, I often put up these cycles. Some of you will have seen these before. Um, there's a cycle of grace and a cycle of grief. I didn't check with Zach that we found these. Have we got these, Zach? We have. That's good. So when it's working well, let's put up the cycle of grace first. Let's put up the other one. Uh, this is when things are working well. It starts with acceptance there on the left-hand side. We know that God loves us. That sustains us. This is how it worked for Jesus. God is his father. He knows he's his son. That sustains him. It's his identity. And he then does ministry to please his heavenly father out of the security of who he is. And that, that cycle of grace goes around really healthily. Most of us tend to operate the other way around, and it becomes the cycle of grief. So we start, this one starts down the bottom by achieving something, 
and people like it, so our identity is that we're good at doing that. Uh, and people approve it, so we try and do more of that. We get driven to do it, so we get accepted. But the more, if your acceptance is based on what you do, it's never secure. You've never done enough. There's always more you've got to do. And that goes the wrong way around. And as Christians, we need to make sure our identity is based on who we are, that God is our Heavenly Father, not on what we do. Do you remember at Jesus' baptism, the Father said, you are my son whom I love. We'll come to this in a couple of weeks' time. I'm pleased with you. Now, he hadn't done any ministry yet. He'd done some tables and some chairs and some ox yokes and some door frames. But he hadn't yet done any teaching or healing. God is pleased with him for who he is. And God is pleased with you for who you are. He's pleased you're here tonight. He loves you. And our identity needs to be in that, not in running around trying to make everybody else pleased with us. Now, down the years, God has had to speak to me about this again and again and again. Uh, I'm wired naturally to be fairly activist. Uh, the, the energy of that is you do things that go well, you can try and do more of them, but actually you just get tired and burnt out that way. Uh, as an older Christian minister put it, uh, uh, the way I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. It was like I was, I'd rather have done jobs for God than spend time with him. That's as crazy as if I'd rather run errands for Juliet, my wife, rather than spend time with her. It's kind of got it the wrong way around. Uh, and I had a hugely significant time of ministry around about the time I was 30. Some of you will have heard this story before, but <laughs> this was the, I haven't got different stories about this because this was the, how it happened to me. Um, I was privileged to have a pretty good dad, but he wasn't perfect. Folks I've come across who've not had good dads know that God is different and not like their dad. Now that there's ministry that needs to happen for some of the damage of not having a good father and that uh, we can point in the right direction for that. My problem was the opposite one. I had quite a good dad, but I equated him with God. And the bits about him that were not good, I'd projected onto God. So the classic example, and some of you know this story very well. Uh, when I was about the age of Jesus in the story, 12, I was 10 or 12, I was a bright kid and lazy at school. So I found I could do quite well by being a, because I was bright. And my dad wanted to encourage me to work hard at school. So when my school report came, he said, I'm sure you've done very well, but every time it says, I'm going to reward you with five pounds, which 50 years ago was a lot of money, uh, but I'm going to knock 50p off every time it says careless. And his intention was good. He wanted to encourage me to work hard. But I had this excruciating memory of reading my report with my dad, seeing 50p after 50p after 50p knocked off. And when I was 30, in a time of prayer ministry, this came back to my mind, that I kind of projected this onto my heavenly father. And I was almost thinking God was looking at me, thinking, well, I'm quite pleased with you, but we're knocking 50p off there and knocking 50p off there. And if that's your attitude to God as your father, you're not going to come to him. I'd rather go out and do stuff. And when I realized that I'd projected that bit that wasn't good about my dad onto God and got ministry, that was releasing. And I got the point of knowing my Heavenly Father knows me and loves me for who I am and wants to encourage me to do better. But he's never going to be knocking 50 Ps off. That was my human dad who'd got some stuff wrong. Now, I don't know how it is for you. None of us have had perfect parents. 
all of us need healing and ministry for stuff that's not been good. But God, your heavenly Father, is the perfect Father who loves you. And the best thing we can do is come to learn to trust our heavenly Father. Uh, just a couple more references as we tease this out. Uh, Jesus so loved his heavenly Father that he spent time with him and only did what he saw his Father doing. This is John 5:19. Jesus says the son, that's him, can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. For those of you who are in danger of trying to do too much, try and see what God is doing and say no to the other stuff and do that. For those of you who are in danger of doing too little, look for what God wants you to do and get involved with that. Uh, learn to trust him. Let's jump to Matthew chapter 6 from verse 25. Jesus, it says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus wants us to learn to trust our Heavenly Father for our needs. He knows what we need. Come to him. For what we do, for our identity and our security. Uh, so in a moment, we're going to have this time of prayer. We're going to pray that God would pour his Holy Spirit down afresh upon us, each one of us. It's by the Holy Spirit that we know that God is our Heavenly Father. Paul in Galatians 4, put it like this, Galatians 4, 6 and 7, says this. God sent the spirit of his son, the spirit of Jesus into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And a child, you say you're an heir. It's by the Holy Spirit that we know this. Uh, you can study it all you like in your head, but until the Holy Spirit writes it on our heart, we're not going to know it in our knower, deep down that bit that knows stuff. That's what we want to pray. We're going to have a time of just being still. I'll, for those of you who are new among us, let me explain what we'll do. I'm going to invite you to stand in a minute, and we'll pray that God would come by his Spirit and help us to know. If you're a visitor, some of you may be the first time here, just ask God, Lord, I want to know if this is true. Uh, come and show me. Uh, if you've been a Christian for many years... Say, Lord, renew my faith. Forgive me for it all being up in my head. I want to know it deep down in my identity. Uh, I'm going to pray that God will come by his spirit. And then I'm going to invite anyone who would like that to come forward and stand around the dais here. We do this from time to time when I think that there, this is right for lots of us. I'm going to invite you to come. And, and I've always found this really helpful to do, to go forward and stand and have someone come and lay a hand on my shoulder and our prayer team will just wander around laying hands on people's shoulders saying, Lord, please fill 
your child with your Holy Spirit and help them know your fatherly love for them. You can do it very simply, like that. Um, some of you will need longer time of prayer. We're partnered with the Well Christian Healing Centre and you can book appointments where you can pray through the week and you can pray with people longer after the service. But this time of prayer is just going to be a very simple chance to, to come forward. And I suspect there'll be lots who will want that fatherly relationship with God renewed. Uh, and while that's going on, the band will play. And then eventually we will sing our last song. And our last song is about when Satan tempts us to despair. He tempted Jesus to doubt. He tempts us. And the song is about looking up to God our Father and knowing him. Uh, so that's what's going to go on. And then after that, there'll be a chance to chat and to pray and to talk on the welcome desk and all the rest of it. So let's stand. And if the band would come back ready to lead us in prayer, that would be brilliant. So Heavenly Father, how we praise you for your great love for us. How we praise you for Jesus coming to reveal that love. Coming to be born as a baby, to be a boy, to be a teenager, to be a man. Knowing your love, full of your love. Teaching and healing, dying on the cross, rising again. Ascended to the Father's side. So we pray, pour out your Holy Spirit on us afresh tonight. Come Holy Spirit, and minister to your people here tonight. Let's just be still. I encourage you perhaps to open your hands, to be like receiving, to breathe in. Lord, I want to breathe in your spirit. I want to know you're my Father. As you breathe out, how we get rid of all the doubt and the lies that get in the way. So Holy Spirit, come and minister to your children this evening.